Cheers, everybody. A little bit of cold brew to get this kicking off. <laughs> oh yeah! All right, all right, man. New day, new podcast with my sick setup. Um, sure, everything's set up here. <laughs> I'm still. I'm still using a uh, Mishimoto catch can box as my tripod, but hey, we gotta make these videos. Gotta do what we can do. So today we're talking a little bit about, uh, this one's gonna be a little bit more personal, I guess. Um, I had a lot of people who were asking, you know, what I did before YouTube um, and when I got into cars and just history about me. Honestly, I don't love talking about just myself um, just because it's, I feel so like narcissistic. I don't know. I don't, I don't love, I don't love doing that, but I do have a lot of you guys on here who are just curious about history and where I come from and what I do. So we're just, I was going to blast through a little video talking about it. Um, uno momento, por favor. So a young Jonathan, uh, 16 years old, man, it was like right around the time that Fast and the Furious came out. So even before I had gotten my first car, I was obsessed with E30 BMWs. Um, a friend of mine had an E30, a white E30 325IS. It was like a unicorn. It was beautiful, uh, immaculate on the outside, red interior, manual. And this is when we are 16 years old. So you can imagine like how cool that car was back when I was 16 years old and my buddy had this E30, which I'm telling you guys, like it was, it was absolutely perfect. He ended up totaling the car. Yeah, I know. Ouch. So, um, I was really into like old BMWs before I even owned a car or worked on cars. And my parents at the time would not let me get an old BMW, regardless of who paid for it, me or my parents. Uh, they just did not want me buying an older car, especially an older BMW, because they're so unreliable um, that we hear all the time, right? So uh, that was out of the question, unfortunately. I really wanted an E30, and like the dream car was like an E36 M3, right? But for a 16-year-old, no, not happening. At the time, I was actually working at a grocery store I actually started working at this grocery store before I was even legally of age to work. I was working illegally at a grocery store. Uh, I worked in the deli department, chopping up cheese, packaging cheese. That was like, that was my gig. And it was, it was the worst job I've ever had. Actually, maybe not the worst I've ever had, but it was definitely one of the worst. And I've probably had over 20 jobs in my whole life. I had a lot of jobs when I was younger. I've always worked, um, which is, I'm grateful for that. My, my parents raised me that way to always have, you know, you gotta, if you wanna buy things, you gotta buy them with your own money. First car that I was able to actually get was an Acura Integra, a red Acura Integra LS. You guys, I wish I had photos of this car for you. I don't know how I have lost the photos over the years. Through all the moving and relocating, they're gone. I believe it was a 2000 or like 2001 Acura Integra LS. Yo, JDM. Like I had gotten into the JDM scene. Like you remember that the three, the black three Honda Civics, like in the Fast and the Furious movie that like were taking over the truck. I loved JDM cars. Like I was so into JDM cars. Obviously a lot of people were inspired by Fast and the Furious. RIP Paul Walker. I had an Acura Integra and that was the scene that I started out with. I was really into Hondas, uh, Toyotas, 
Acuras. And so the Acura Integra, I did a bunch of modifications to it, super corny, like cringy modifications and um, mostly aesthetic and like air intake. And so I had that car, uh, I can't remember how long I had it for, a few years. And then I ended up selling that car because I really wanted a manual, the Acura was automatic. <laughs> as I drive an automatic a Supra. But I, I, I really wanted to get a manual car. So my first manual car was an EK, which was like a 99 Honda Civic hatchback, black on black. I'm gonna try and put a photo in here. I think I still have photos of that car. If I do, I'm gonna put them up right here. So I, I bought that car. I think I paid like 6,000 for it or something like that. Had that car and it had the D16 in it. Dude, it remembers the D6, the 1.6 liter, bro? Single overhead cam, like, and went nowhere. But I loved that car. Like I really, really loved that car. And I worked on it 100% myself. All of my cars, like when I was younger, I didn't take them to any shops. I did all the work myself. And we had like the, the crappiest tools in like the coldest garages in the Midwest, like throughout the winters, like 20 degrees space heaters, like it was, dude, it was rough. Circling back to the EK Civic, um, I had that, and this is when I really started getting into like street racing. I was heavily involved in the street racing scene when I was 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, um, every weekend. Every weekend, every night, we were out street racing until 5 a.m. That was what we did, and we loved it. And everyone, it was a different scene back then than it is now. It was really, really popular, and the cops weren't quite hip to it yet. Like, they knew that it was going down, but we would hop from spot to spot, and everyone knew where to go. So we would usually get like a good hour of racing in, uh, you know, 1 a.m. in these industrial parks. We would get like a good solid hour of just street racing in, and then we would hop to the next part, um, the next place, and we would just race. And uh, I got gapped by everybody because I only made like 150 horsepower in my EK Civic. So at that time, when I was 17 years old, uh, which is when I had that car, I was still in high school and I ended up moving out of my parents' house before I even graduated high school. So I was living on my own when I was 17 years old and I was working at, that time I was working at uh, Concourse BMW. So I was working at a BMW dealership when I was 17 years old as a lot attendant and like a detailer. So that was what I did clean cars, drove cars around, did all that, uh, gassed them up and stuff like that. Um, so I was living on my own with a bunch of other car guys and like three of my really close friends all lived in this house that we all rented out. Two of us worked at the same dealership. I think we all worked at car dealerships at the time, just different ones. And we were all car guys. We all built cars, we all street raced, we all we did all that. Then uh, I decided to put my, I, I bought a JDM B16 engine and put it into my EK hatch. So we swapped it ourselves, um, installed it, had that for a while, kind of got like tired of that car and then ended up buying a uh, Civic Si, a red one. Um, it was like a 2000 and I don't know, one or two or something. It was a Honda Civic Si EM1 right? In the Milano red. I'll try and find a picture of it and put it up right here. So I, I remember like, I remember specifically like driving to Chicago and getting this car. And I think I paid like six, five, 6,000 for it. Dude, it was a hunk of crap. Like it was so, it was such a bad decision. Like we, I remember driving to Chicago, like having a PPI done on this car 
And like, even the mechanic was like, eh, like it needs some work, like it's not perfect. But I just wanted this car so bad. I was already emotionally invested in buying this car, which is like the number one thing you never do when you're going to buy a car. So I, I made the decision to buy this pile of junk uh, Civic Si that, uh, you know, I was convinced in my head, I'm like, oh, it's a great project car. Like, I'll just keep fixing it. And like, dude, it was my only car. So like, it wasn't a good, car to have as a project car or a daily driver. Nonetheless, bought the car, uh, didn't even make it home until like I had a problem like on the way home from Chicago to Milwaukee. Ended up building that car, doing a bunch of like actual JDM modifications to it. If any of you were into like the JDM scene way back then, JDM Password was like the big JDM website where you would get basically all of your parts that came off of those same cars in Japan you would be able to buy them in the US. And so they were like really expensive, lots of like spoon parts, um, Mugen, stuff like that. While all of my, like I had a bunch of friends that I lived with that were car guys, right? One of my friends, my, my really good friend, John Molitor was uh, a BMW guy. So he was like the, the wolf that was like kicking it with all the sheep, right? He always had like really fast BMWs and my friend, I actually had him on the channel. He has an E30 LS1 swapped E30 uh, BMW. And then he also has uh, M5, or he has a five series wagon that he swapped an M5 engine into, axle, trans, brakes, the whole nine, like an amazing car. He has an E46 M3, he's owned E30 M3s. He's owned more BMWs and knows more about BMWs, like builds transmissions in his basement type stuff than most people I know. So this is like my good friend growing up and he helped me with like my Honda stuff, just a very like mechanically sound dude who like knew, knew he knew a lot about that stuff. There was actually a time when I was, um, when I was attending school, I was taking courses my senior year for mechanical engineering uh, back in high school. So I would like in the afternoon, I would go to uh, a college campus and take mechanical engineering courses. And that was where I first learned about cars. And this is when I was 17 years old. So like I, I knew a little bit when I was pretty young about cars and how to work on them. The red Civic Si that I had ended up getting totaled when I got to college. So I got to college and I was literally driving to a job interview and a Toyota Tundra like barreled through a red light and took off the whole front of my car. So ended up getting the Jimmy, total pile of crap, um, was in college at the time and then ended up getting an Acura, had that for a while, ended up selling that. After the Acura, I ended up leasing a Honda Accord. Um, the Honda Accord and like by this time I'm like, 25 or something, I ended up leasing a Honda Accord. So I'm 36 right now, uh, just turned 36 in January. So I ended up leasing a Honda Accord cause I was like, I just want like a new car. I don't want to like deal with like maintenance and stuff. You know, I wasn't into cars at the time. I was doing my own thing. Ended up getting this Honda Accord, leased it. Um, it was like $200 a month, good car, drove it, enjoyed it, whatever. It was nice to have like a newer car and not worry about it. And I didn't even make it to like the end of the three years of owning that car. And I was like already getting the bug. Like, I need to get me like a project car. You know what I mean? Like it's like a drug when you're, uh, when you're someone like me. So I ended up buying a Honda Civic Si, like a 2013 or no, 12. I think it was after, after I had that Honda Accord and it was a manual. I ended up driving to Chicago to get it. I remember it. Um, loved it. Put like a lot of really, really nice modifications that I got, like it handled really, really good. So had that for a while. And at the time, um, what I was doing like professionally for a job is I had gotten into graphic design. That was what I originally had gone to school for. So I went to two different colleges. One college was for graphic design, which was like the first thing that 
I was like, I could do it, but I wasn't really like super into it. And then the second college I went to was for, um, for music, was for uh, audio engineering. So basically uh, mixing records, working at studios, working with bands. I played in a band for a long time. I recorded a lot of bands in, and I ended up getting a job in Milwaukee at a studio that at the time was called, what was the name of that studio? It was called um, The Mystery Room. That was the name of the studio. And it was a little studio on the south side of Milwaukee in a place called Bayview, if you know Milwaukee. It's, uh, it, was, it was a dope little studio. And I was at the time playing in a band. That was like part of what I did for a living. So I played in like a touring band and then I also had this job um, printing to like working at a t-shirt company, like a t-shirt design company that like screen prints. Um, I still made and produced a lot of music, engineered a lot of records, but the whole like playing in the band and gigging all the time and just like killing yourself for that life was just not, was just not what I was interested in. So ended up getting out of that and focusing more on like the screen printing stuff and worked for this company doing screen printing. Um, I was their designer, so like their art director, right? So I would like set up all the graphics. Like that was where I got really good with like computers. Like I already had a good uh, idea of how to control like audio applications like Pro Tools and um, Logic and stuff like that. And so it was easy for me to pick up like these design softwares like Illustrator, Photoshop. I ended up starting my own company and it was called Threadline Prints. And what we did was we were like the middleman. So I had a lot of friends in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was able to bring enough people together, get in contact with enough people and use enough of my connections to kind of like become their guy for apparel. So like if their bar or their club or their company or their like whatever it was needed clothes like embroidery or like screen printed shirts, like I was their guy. Like they used to call me like Threadline John because like I was the dude who would like supply you with like goods. Like if you needed it, I was the dude. So I did that for a long time. Then I got I got really tired of working in that industry. So I had had this company Threadline for six, seven years. Like it was established, it made me money passively, um, but I, I really didn't enjoy like the, um, just like the clientele and like the industry was very cutthroat and like, unless you were making like pennies on the dollar to like every sale, the amount of work that ended up going into it versus like the amount of money that I made off of it just wasn't that great. And I didn't own screen printing or like embroidery equipment. I was just the guy that would like basically connect the client to the company that did all the screen printing and I would get contract pricing. So like my pricing would be hard to beat by any other company, but I would get like a little profit margin just for having those contacts. So I was really just like the middle guy, but like I could supply people with like really good artwork and, um, and deliver their goods to them and like really went like above and beyond to make sure that like the brand was there and like we did, you know, we killed it. Like we only worked with like brands that I wanted to work with. Um, so I ended up doing that for a really long time. The longer that I spent doing it, the more tired that I got um, being a part of that industry. And if there's one thing that I've learned in life is that you will never be the same person throughout your entire life. I look at my life and I'm like, okay, so I was like this like car kid, then I was like this musician, I was like this engineer, and then I was this designer, and then I owned this like screen printing business, and like that now like I do a lot of marketing, and then I'm like YouTube, you know what I mean? Like podcasts, like you're just never the same person, and you kind of just kind of like follow these interests as you go through that 
that life. And it was easy for me to stop doing the t-shirt stuff because I saw that it was just, it was draining me. Like I was getting to the point where I was just so not happy, like being a part of that industry. And like, it, it dawned on me when like people started asking me what I did. And every time that I explained it to them, I, it just felt like exhausting to me. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I hate this. Like, why am I like continuing to do this just to like make money? You know what I mean? Like I get it, like everyone's gotta live, but you know, so I started like doing YouTube and marketing and stuff on the side when I already owned this company that like was able to bring in enough money for me to live and whatnot. And when I owned Threadline Prints, when I had my company, I needed a, I needed some sort of car, right? And I was kind of tired of having this like Honda, like kind of got like away from that. And I was like, I just want something like luxurious and like nice and like easy to drive. And I was going into like my late twenties. So I felt like I just kind of, I was at that point. Where I was like, all right, man, I'm like an adult now. Like I need to get like something that's not like a little race car, which is ironic because I'm 36 and I drive a super loud Supra. So I had, so that was when I bought the F30, the 328 and I bought it in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Literally just bought that car to drive around and like deliver boxes of t-shirts. Like that was it. That car was not meant to be modified or anything like it. I didn't even know how to do any of that on these cars. Mind you, this was my first BMW ownership, this 328. So I, I knew a little bit from my friend John, but I didn't know a lot. Like I certainly didn't know a lot about German engineering, but I was, I was willing to figure it out. So after driving the car for like a few, I did some like a few things when I first bought it because I realized right away like, oh crap. Like this is like the base version. I need to like, I really like the way that those like sport bumpers look, right? Like M Sport, like didn't, had no idea what I was talking about. I was like, but those like, those ones, like what are they, M Tech? Like <laughs> no idea. I was like, those look like cool. Like I want that on my car. So I ended up like doing enough research on the forums to find, uh, and I did this, like you guys don't understand, like today you can buy the M Sport kit, like made for our, like for the base series F30 and you can like straight up plop that on and it fits. When I did this retrofit, like when I did my front bumper on my F30, those did not exist. You couldn't just like buy a kit and like plop it on the car that like worked with the F30. So I went onto the forums and I found people that had done this M Sport to the base version swap. And I only was gonna do the front bumper because that was all I really cared about at the time. So I bought, I had like a list of 50 OEM part numbers to make this swap work. And I literally went on eBay and bought every single OEM part, legit OEM part from the M Sport F30 to make that swap work on my baseline F30. Like I ripped apart the whole front end just to do like a, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not the whole front end, but like all the way back to the radiator and all the plastic and the shrouds and all that stuff. It was like a two day process, like the most ridiculous, like the fact that we have kits nowadays, like the M Sport kit that, from Keys that you can literally just like pop, pop it on and like, oh, you're done. Like all of the plastic stuff that comes with it and the kit works fine. And it's like four, like 400 bucks or something, like whatever it is. But the uh, the front bumper that I found that was used was painted. It was just off of a trash uh, totaled car. So it was already in Glacier Silver. I was like, oh, bet. Like, I'll just take that and like, it's not perfect, but whatever, we'll make it work. So that was my first experience like working on this car, like ripping apart the whole thing. It was like a complete nightmare, but I ended up getting it done and my friend John back in Milwaukee helped me do it on jack stands in the winter, literally snowing outside and we were doing this, this bumper swap. Uh, I get through with that and I'm like, okay, that's all I wanna do. Like I don't really wanna like modify the car. 
And then I'm like, oh, that'd be cool to get like some wheels, right? So like slowly like that modification bug, like I always liked doing simple things to my cars, like tint and stuff like that. But then I was like, oh, it'd be cool to like get some wheels on this car. Like I got a little money now, like why not? So I ended up buying some avant-garde's um, M510s, I believe, or what I had on the F30 originally. After the wheels uh, just like stopped working on the car, was focusing on business. That was like coming up to like three or four, three and a half years ago or so, um, which is when I decided to move here to Charlotte, North Carolina. And the reason I decided to move, honestly, was because of the climate. Like I just couldn't stand being in those like rigorous winters that lasted like eight months long. I was just over it. I had done it for my whole life. I was born in Atlanta, but I grew up in Minneapolis. And then when I was 12, I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so like I was in that cold climate for my entire life but your boy's got that ATL blood. So like, I'm a Southern dude. I'm just like raised in the Midwest. The winters just got to me after a while. I was like, why am I choosing to live like in this like dismal gray, cold state? Like I could be somewhere else. So my stepbrother, my older stepbrother lived here in Charlotte, North Carolina with his family. And I had visited Charlotte, North Carolina a bunch. Um, so I kind of like knew the area. I knew I really liked it, loved the climate, loved that we had the mountains. The mountains were like a big part of it for me and then like we had the beach not too far the roads here are incredible the roads in milwaukee are horrible absolutely terrible the only thing that i really loved about milwaukee what well, the downtown was okay but like the lake michigan was really cool like it's basically a lake that's like a, a freaking ocean like it's it's insane i really enjoyed having that um and chicago was close by i loved going to chicago all the time was dating a girl at who lived in chicago at the time so like was constantly down in chicago so after i uh after i decided to like i made the decision like okay i am moving to charlotte north carolina because i really wasn't like happy with what i was doing in milwaukee i was like i need to change like do something right like and that's kind of what I've learned in life. Like if you are stuck in a place in life where you're just not happy or like you just feel like you're not getting anywhere or you just, honestly, you just need to change. Like you need to change something up drastically in your life. And if I didn't move here, I never would have started YouTube. So like let that sink in. Like what I do today and like what I am basically like known for with you guys is YouTube and that never would have happened if I didn't make that choice to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. I wouldn't have been able to make videos outside year round. Like it would have been far more difficult. And I personally feel like my quality of life has changed, um, has grown immensely since moving to Charlotte, North Carolina. I love it here. It's a great place. I ended up moving to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and then I shortly after I moved, like literally like I sold everything I owned and I, <laughs> packed my two cats into my BMW, put my, my bike on the roof, through, I sold a lot of stuff. I shipped a couple of boxes down to my brother's house, but the majority of the stuff that I owned, I sold it, put as much as I could into my BMW, and I drove 14 hours through the day into the night, ended up pulling into Charlotte, North Carolina at 4 a.m., had a lease to sign the next day at this place that I'm in now, uh, three and a half years ago, and here we are. And I've just been doing this whole thing. So like I was here in Charlotte, North Carolina for like a year or so um, before I really started doing YouTube. And I was just getting my bearings, like figuring out the area. I knew that I loved it. I was like, this place is great. Like the climate is amazing. Um, the, the place that I live in is really nice. It's like, a, it's like a hotel. Like we got like our own gym, we got a pool. Like it's a great setup. After about a year, uh, we're gonna talk about like how I got into YouTube and like how I started building the car again. Um, so after about a year, I was 
just kind of like at the end of wanting to be involved in the uh, screen printing industry. Just tired of it. It was not, just didn't enjoy it anymore. It just like got draining to me. I started, uh, while I still had the company, I started a YouTube channel, Thick F30. So I started that YouTube channel and had no idea what I was doing. I did it just because I enjoyed like the craft of it. And I was like, I really want to get back into like, you know, modifying cars. And like, I knew I saw what I could do to my BMW. I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna start like making videos. Like I'm just gonna start like getting back into cars, doing some, J some German, um, some, some BMW modifications and I'll just film it. I'll just get my phone or get a GoPro and I'll just, I'll film it. So I bought a $50, a $50 GoPro session and I just started filming what I was doing. And like, it took a very long time for anything to like actually take off. And that's the thing with YouTube, like you really gotta love it in order to stick it out. But fell into like, I discovered Beamer code, right? So I was like trying to like, I was just researching stuff about my car and I'm like, what I can do to it. I was like, oh, this like Beamer code thing seems pretty interesting. Like, and I noticed that like not a lot of people were making any content on it. And so I bought all this stuff to do it, which was like at the time it was like that iCar VGate Pro. I bought all the things to like do Beamer code. And I just started making very low quality, crappy, like, but straight to the point, valuable videos of how to code certain things in your car. And I was doing it like four or five videos per week, like every week. I was gr I was hustling the YouTube algorithm, man. And I was making videos, just banging them out. I didn't really know at the time, like, oh, you're gonna do YouTube. Like I had no idea, right? So I just was like doing this thing because I thought it was cool and I could like show people some information about their cars that they didn't know. So after like a year of doing it and actually like gaining an audience and like things started to take off, like it was all gradual, you know, like I never really had like a viral video. It was just, I was just putting out valuable information. Hopefully people liked it and I guess they did. And so like slowly the subscriber count started going up, started doing a little more like vlogging, different styles of stuff, up to some of my quality, got into like the editing side of things, learning more and more. And then I discovered affiliate marketing, which was like two and a half, two years ago. YouTube doesn't pay me yet because like you don't get paid on YouTube until you have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 watch hours, which is actually like takes a while to get that. So I wasn't getting paid on YouTube. I was just making videos because I enjoyed it. I, I was, I was like, if I can like monetize what I'm doing somehow, like it'd be really cool because then I wouldn't have to do this like t-shirt thing anymore. So, so I was already like using a lot of little parts off like Amazon and stuff on my cars, start, stop button, you know, like random carbon parts. Cause I didn't have any connections in the industry, um, especially here, you know, like, like keys, motorsports or anything like that. I didn't know any of those guys. So I, I basically just started an affiliate, Amazon affiliate. And like immediately when I started my Amazon affiliate and got accepted, I was making like three to $400 per month on it. And I was like, oh, that was like the moment, like a light bulb went off and I was like, Oh, I can make some money doing this. So I was like, if I can make this kind of money on here, like who's, who knows how much money I can make on other, like with other companies and other platforms. So immediately I, I went all into affiliate marketing. I got obsessed with it. I started making videos based on affiliate marketing, like pitching products on, for cars, BMW and stuff to people. Um, just trying to like show the value, like researching it, um, like doing more research on sales and like why people buy certain things. I think that like marketing is an art craft in itself. I got really, really obsessed with, with it. And I feel like if you're going to be successful at anything, you have to become obsessed with it. So I end up making a ton of content, obviously on the 328 and start building some relationships, reaching out to people over and over again, trying to like get sponsors. And look, like, you know, when I first started YouTube and like affiliate marketing, 
the people that I work with today are the people that I was watching on YouTube. Like you just never know where life is gonna take you or where you end up. I remember like just getting into BMW content and I was like, Brian Key shows up, right? Keys Motorsports, Brian shows up. And I'm like, oh, this guy seems to like really know stuff. So I'm like watching all of his videos, like buying parts from him. And it's funny because I was still doing t-shirts at the time. So I had like these two things going on and I'm like, hey, Brian, like I like DM Brian like cold, you know, I was like, hey man, like, you know, if you ever need t-shirts, like let me know, like I can hook you up. And that was like my way in, right? Like I had like the car and like I was making some content, but my content wasn't that good yet. But I was like, hey, if you ever need like t-shirts or whatever, like swag or like, let me know, I can help you out. So like I, w I started doing Brian's um, apparel for a, for a while. But that didn't happen until after we started working on like my car together. So like he was like, all right, we'll try it out. Like, you know, he started like working with me on some parts and like making videos for him and doing affiliate stuff. And fast forward three years later and it's just been like an incredible uh, business re relationship in general. Brian's a friend and also um, professionally and, and uh, business relationship, you know, like obviously I'm a big affiliate for him. So it's just crazy. like. You never know where life is gonna take you. You have to just follow your heart and you have to just follow the things that you truly enjoy. If you don't enjoy it, find a way to get out of it. If, if you're doing something for just a paycheck, start doing something on the side that you like more or find something that you love and keep working at it and be become obsessed with it and do it as much as you possibly can until you get to the point where you can make that thing that you love on the side your full-time thing. That is how it works. If you can convince uh, a boss that you have right now currently um, to work from home, look, I mean, as shitty as this pandemic is, it's a really great time for a lot of people to start leaning into their side businesses or side endeavors because everyone's at home. We definitely have a lot more time on our hands, especially now that we can't waste time out in public at bars. And so really to wrap this up, you guys, like that's where I came from. That's my background. That's what I've been doing. That's how I got into cars. Those were the jobs that I had. That's how I had some money. That is how I got into YouTube. And that's where we're at today. We're really just continuing on this path, on this thing we call life, and I'm just, I'm just enjoying it, man. That's what it's all about. If you guys have any questions for me, drop them down below. Um, comments, questions, suggestions for next video, go ahead and drop them down below. We're gonna wrap up this podcast. Thank you so much for watching. Um, by the way, we are also on Spotify now. I'll, I'll link it down below. We just got the podcast on Spotify, which is sick. Um, and then we should be on Apple Podcast soon or like in the iTunes library on Apple Podcasts soon. It takes like 10 days for that to happen. Either way, love you guys. Thanks for watching. Peace.